Hey, e-commerce friend, today's episode is a replay of one of our most popular episodes. And even if you listen to it the first time, I encourage you to listen to it again, because it's likely your business has evolved a lot since then, and there might be something that's more relevant to you right now, or you might just hear it differently. So don't go away. Listen through. Let's get into it. Welcome to the e-commerce badassery podcast, the place for scrappy female entrepreneurs who want to learn actionable steps and strategies to grow the traffic, sales, and profit in your e-commerce business. I'm your host, Jessica Totillo Coster, a 20-year retail veteran who spent three years as the only employee of a seven-figure online store. That shit was crazy. I know exactly how it feels to do all the things, and I'm sharing everything I learned the hard way so you don't have to. I may have started this business by accident, but supporting badass bosses like you lights me the fuck up, and I am so stoked to see you grow. Are you ready, babe? Let's roll. Welcome back to another episode of the e-commerce badassery podcast. I'm your host, Jessica Totillo Coster. We have a kick-ass guest today, a former client and badass entrepreneur, Megan Tejas of Glass Ladder & Co. This girl has such an inspiring story and brand mission, and I can't wait to share it with you. She started her business because she was disappointed with the lack of professional female accessories, finding them to be either too masculine or not quite appropriate for work. Not to mention her not-so-wonderful experience of being a female in the corporate world, which we're definitely going to talk about. Once she decided to take the leap into entrepreneurship, she set out to build a lifestyle brand of handbags and accessories that inspire women to take their health, wealth, and happiness into their own hands. Three and a half years later, Glass Ladder & Co. is a seven-figure, family-owned and operated brand that has been featured in FabFitFun, Causebox, PopSugar, BuzzFeed, and Business Insider. Hear her story of creating a brand that believes in glass ladders instead of glass ceilings, how she took her future into her own hands, and how she used social media to grow her brand. Welcome to the show, Megan. Hi, thanks so much for having me. <laughs> I am so excited to have you here. In full transparency, Megan and I worked together previously. I helped her out with some email stuff. And so the more I got to learn about her story of Glass Ladder and just what a badass businesswoman she is, I was super excited to have her on the show and share her story with you guys listening. So Megan, I did talk about you obviously in the intro, but I would love to hear from your perspective just a little bit about why you started, what made you decide to go on this crazy roller coaster of being an entrepreneur <laughs> and how you created your business. So I actually always knew that I wanted to do something somewhat entrepreneurial, at least that I wanted to have control over my day-to-day -day schedule. I wanted to have control over my finances and that really hit home for me when I started working in the corporate world, where the harder you work does not equal more dollars earned. And that didn't fly for me. So <laughs> I decided, you know, if I'm working my tail off, I want to be able to make more. And it really kind of resonated when my manager had left and I had to take over his role. And 
I was doing basically two people's jobs. I took over a managerial position and I had asked for, you know, a few dollar raise, nothing crazy considering I was doing two positions and my manager was making easily a six-figure salary. And my boss said no. He said that maybe he would consider giving me a dollar a year. And after about 10 years, that could be a decent salary for someone like me. And that was the nail in the coffin. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, and we're doing this now. (laughs) Gonna try to do my own thing. I want to be my own boss, control my own finances. Yes. So important. And anyone who's worked in corporate, myself included, knows exactly how that feels. And obviously it's a mindset thing of why we continue to stay in positions like that and deal with that crap. Good news is you got out a lot sooner than I did. So congratulations for starting young. Thank you. (laughs) I took the long way around. I always say I took the long way around in everything I did. So that's so awesome. So here you are, you decide you're going to start a handbag brand. I think you started with like the portfolios. I did. So at first we only even launched one portfolio and we eventually evolved to do more portfolios and then eventually towards handbags. So the initial concept was just that working in the corporate world, I was deeply frustrated with the accessories available for women. I felt like most of the accessories I could find were either geared towards schoolgirls and had bright rainbow colors and sequins and just <laughs> were not professional. Or they were extremely masculine and not stylish. So with my frustration, I said, you know, we can do something with this. There is not something in the market accessory wise for working women that is both professional and stylish and allows them to express their femininity in a professional way. Right. You just started with what you wanted, which is like the holy grail of starting a product-based business. But go ahead. Keep talking, lady. We actually had to change our business model a couple of times. We spent about six months in the planning phase. I brought the idea up to my husband, who at the time was my boyfriend, and you know, expecting him to be like, "Mm, good luck, crazy lady. He was like, yeah, let's do this. I'm on board. So I married him. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he was on board and we spent six months building it together. And we started off thinking maybe it would be a subscription box model. We did the numbers and realized that would not work for us financially. We could not churn out the finances for new inventory four times a year. So we decided to go with an e-commerce model and we worked off a very small selection of like one portfolio. I think it was a pen set and a business card holder. And that was it. And you could buy all three of our items (laughs) in a box, which was our way of trying to incorporate the subscription box thing. But yeah, and it has just continued to evolve. And I'm sure that we will continue even more so to evolve in the future. I love that you just started with a small selection. I think when people are creating a product-based business, they feel like they have to create all the things and have this big, huge line, the inventory and material and everything that goes into that. Like just start small, prove product market fit first, and then expand. And what's really great about doing it that way is you've got customers now who have spent money with you 
giving you feedback. So that's a win there for sure. Did you have experience in the accessory space when you got started or did you just decide I'm going to figure out how to create this? Yes and no. <laughs> so <laughs> I did tell. not have <laughs> any design experience whatsoever. I did not go to school for design. I did not work in the design industry, but I did have experience with fashion and accessories. So when I was in college, I actually worked for Michael Kors for years selling handbags. I mean, it's like boot camp. I had to go through the ins and outs of learning what every single piece was called, what every single material was, how they make it, how they make the colors. Because as a salesperson, you need to know every single detail. So that was my first exposure of really learning so much about handbags and accessories in that regard. I was working there while I was in college as an intern. And then once I graduated, they gave me a full-time position. I worked for a PR company that specialized in beauty, fashion, and accessories. And I really didn't like working in the fashion industry. (laughs) I mean, I loved that I could wear whatever I want and I felt empowered as a woman, but it was so toxic For me, my experience, it was bad. It was like devil wears Prada bad, like totally inappropriate, unprofessional and absolutely illegal employee abuse and misconduct happening. So I left and I moved over to marketing in finance, which was a super male dominated industry. And boy, I was just taken aback. I didn't realize how good I had it in the fashion industry. I was like, wow, there's sexism, there's sexual harassment. There's all kinds of things that I, in my cloud nine version of reality was like, women don't deal with that anymore. (laughs) And then I went into a male dominated industry and was like, oh, smack. Mm-hmm. And that's really where the female empowerment in the professional space, that's how that aspect of our branding came to be, because that was a shell shock for me and something that I was determined to speak out about, educate about, and hopefully change. Yeah. And I love how you're taking your experience and putting it into your brand. You guys really do have a mission and a message that comes across in everything that you do. And that's one of the things that really sets you apart and would set any brand apart, right? Like that's why it's so important to have that. And it's funny that you say, oh, I didn't even think that this was still a thing. I randomly decided I was going to start watching reruns of the original 90210. So I've been watching that. And, you know, it's funny because I realized how old I was when it first came out. I probably shouldn't have been watching that show. But anyway, (laughs) like I think back now and I'm like, wow, I wasn't as old as I thought I was. And it's cheesy, right? But they were really tackling some big issues. It's literally the same exact conversation that we're having now 30 years later. And it sometimes feels as if nothing has changed. So it's just interesting to me that you say that. And, you know, I think we've got a long way to go. I think we're making progress and every little itty bitty step helps. So thank you so much for being a part of that because I've had my fair share of being treated differently because I am a woman. Absolutely. And honestly, I really think that a lot of people don't know to the extent that it's happening. 
Yeah. I mean, I felt like Dorothy. Like I just was like, what alternative reality 1950s <laughs> television show am I living in? This is like 2016. And this is how it is yeah. for women in the corporate world. I was not educated or prepared right. for any of that. And I think that women should be. I don't think that they should have to be. I think right. that it should be fixed <laughs> for sure. But I think that a lot of young women going into the corporate world are likely like me and don't understand what they're walking into. That's such a powerful story. Thank you so much for being vulnerable and sharing it because I find it too even hard sometimes to admit that I dealt with it for so long, right? Because then what does that say about me? But at the that same you're a time- woman in America in the corporate <laughs> <Yeah>. field. <laughs> That's Thank all. you. Yeah. <laughs> so there's all of that stuff. Like once I finally got out and, you know, I've had some really amazing bosses too. Like my most recent boss, he was amazing. I'm so grateful to have spent seven years working with him. But when I look at it now and I'm like, man, I can't believe it took me so long to get out. So, hey, we're all on our own timeline, but maybe you're listening to this and you have your business as a side hustle right now. And you're dealing with that crap and work like you can get out, you are on your way and you are not alone. So, you know, I love that glass ladder is here to remind us of that. So we've talked a lot, obviously about your story. And even when we were working together and kind of learning more about your business, but one of the things that you mentioned to me was you made a lot of mistakes along the way. Oh yeah. (laughs) We're on video so that we can see each other, her face priceless right now. So I would love to know what some of those mistakes are, because I think not enough of us are talking about that. And, you know, people can go to your Instagram and they can see all of your beautiful content and you share your story and how successful you've become, which is all amazing. But I think for someone who's maybe just getting started or not quite at your level, they're going to feel like, oh man, like I'm never going to get there. Or, oh, I totally suck. And she's got it all together because comparison is really just like the thief of joy. As Amen. They say. <laughs> so tell me more about that. I think one of the most important things that even to this day, I have to remind myself, you know, we're all evolving and we're all growing and that's never going to end. And you can always at any point look up to someone else and think, wow, like they're amazing. They're doing great. Like I can never get to where they are. And then you get to the next level and you look up and think, wow, they're doing great up there. I could never get to that level, but you can, you can always get to that next level. And one, you got to believe in yourself. And I want to say not having a clear strategy in place is very, very important. This sounds contradictory, but there's two parts to that. One is just start. Because you can get caught up in the planning phase forever and never be ready to start. If you wait until you're ready, you'll be waiting for the rest of your life. Right. A, you just have to start. And B, never show up without a plan. And then they say a woman without a plan is a woman destined to fail. It's true, (laughs) though, to some extent. And those sound contradictory, but they're not. You just need at least a working outline of your plan this is my plan. And then as you grow and change, so does your plan. It adapts with you. And that's something that you should check in on periodically to make sure, 
is my plan still aligned with where I want to be and what I'm doing? And sometimes you can have a plan and you go out there and the market tells you something different, right? And that's okay. Like you just adjust and adapt to that. When I started e-commerce badassery, I didn't know I was going to have a podcast. I just knew I needed a long form way to share more information because there was only so much that I could put in an Instagram caption. And podcast seemed like the next best thing because I knew I was not going to get on video every week because most of the time I look like crap and have makeup on and I'm too vain to show up on video like that all the time and put it on YouTube. So like you kind of have to know what the market needs and what you're actually able and willing to do too. So was there like a moment where you figured out like, oh crap, we need to like sit down and create a strategy here because whatever we're doing right now is not working. Yeah, every day. Like I said, (laughs) I think that you need to keep adapting it to what you're doing and periodically check in. I mean, we spent about six months in the planning phase when we first launched and just really ironing out our brand, ironing out our logo, our product lineup, our mission statement, working on creating an Instagram audience for six months before we even sold any products. And We've actually gone through branding three different times. We've had three different logos. And I bet you people don't even remember that we had other logos in the first place. How long have you been in business? We're coming on four years. Three logos in four years, guys. So plan, but also just start. Yes. You think that everyone's paying as much attention to all the details as you are, but they're not. I guarantee you people that have been with us from day one probably would be like, you had two other logos? When? Or when did you change your branding colors? I didn't even notice. You know, it's kind of like the Mandela effect. When it changes over time, you don't even notice. People aren't paying as much attention as you think they are. So always work on improving, always reassess and revisit your plan and make sure that it's going to get you to where you want to go. And it's aligned with what you're doing. I love that. And I think the only reason we realize that Apple's logo has changed so much is because marketing people always use Apple's logo as an example, right? And they talk Mm -hmm. about it all the time. But if we weren't talking about it, you know, we wouldn't be sitting here and thinking about, oh yeah, like didn't their logo used to be like rainbow colored or something? So that's a really great point. And something I kind of talk about all the time too, just with like content and things like you feel like everyone is hanging on your every word and you've repeated things a thousand times. And so you don't want to say it again, but like, they're just not paying attention to you. I wish they were, but they're not (laughs) paying attention as much as we think. Talk to me about how you've grown your business. So you started out with these couple of products. You said you did start Instagram about six months before. So you were really working on creating a warm audience ready to buy your product and did that work? And then kind of what were the next steps after that? It did work. Actually, it was pretty incredible. It was so validating. We had this little launch party at Sharky's in Huntington beach and we're there with a group of our friends and family celebrating with us. We had all the launch party setup stuff (laughs) and it was so validating to just see like, another order, another order, another order. You know, it's like, we're all like (laughs) celebrating like, oh my gosh, this is crazy. It was so exciting and so validating. So yes, I think it's definitely important to warm your audience. 
Even to this day, we do that. We start a pre-launch campaign for a new collection or something like three weeks in advance because we've tested it even recently, launching to a warm audience versus cold and hands down a warm audience, you're always going to see tenfold return. Yeah, you guys do an amazing job. I remember when you were launching the fall collection and you know, you're teasing on social media, you're sending emails, you're then showing up live to do like a live launch and showing everyone the product, like you're watching the home shopping network. So (laughs) when people don't know how to talk about their product on video, I'm like, go watch the home shopping network because they're touching it and feeling it and describing how it would feel if the customer was doing that um, and really letting them see how it looks when you put it on your arm. And like, they do that stuff for a reason. It's because it works and it sells products, guys. (laughs) They've been doing it for many years. So I love how you guys do that. And how long would you say it takes you to kind of plan all that out? Because yeah, it's cool to say, hey, do all this stuff in advance. But like, how much time are you spending to create that pre-launch plan? Do you even know? It continues to be different to this day. We're currently in the midst of preparing for our spring launch, which launches April 2nd. So that's in two weeks from now. So even as I'm working on this launch, I'm taking notes for myself for the next collection of like, this is what I need to do differently next time. I'm just bootstrapping it, rolling with the punches and I'm doing the best I can. And then for next time, it's like, okay, well, next time I want to give myself two extra weeks. Next time I want to do this first before I do anything else. Next time I want to hire an illustrator to do this graphic instead of me doing it myself, whatever the details are. So it continues to change. And I think that that's the key. I mean, I do the same thing around the holidays. I work on my holiday campaign and I also keep a note to myself throughout the holiday marketing season of things that we need to do differently or do better or start earlier the next year. And I think as long as you're always growing and changing and adapting, then you're bound to succeed. Oh, you're so smart. (laughs) I love watching you when you do all of this stuff too, because You know, we've talked about this a little bit, but at this point, you are the face of your brand, right? You are the one showing up on that live when you launch a new line of products. You are the one creating reels on Instagram, doing IGTVs or whatever it is, right? You are in the product photos. How much impact do you think that has had on the success of your brand? Or was it really just, well, because I'm the one that's always here to take the photos? That's a good question. Like, I'll tell you a secret. No one wants to be their face of the brand. No one. We all resist it. Nobody wants to get up and be the face. I think everyone resists it. And I think it's a tale as old as time is that I didn't want to be the face of my brand. I resisted it for years. I finally put my face on the brand and my audience loves it. And my business is increasing. And I'm shocked that this actually works. And I'm one of them. I agree. I resisted it for a couple years. I was not the face of the brand for a while. We maybe dedicated one tile on Instagram, like every (laughs) couple of months of a picture of like, hi, this is us. Here's a fun fact. That's all. (laughs) You know, and I would have been happy to leave it at that. But in order for us to really see that growth, 
I had to just embrace it. Do you feel like it's easier now than it was when you first started? Absolutely. It continues to get easier. And this is my second podcast interview I've ever done. And the first one, I was like shaking in my boots. And this (laughs) one, I feel better. Same thing with going live. The first one, I thought I was going to have a heart attack. And I actually had an allergic reaction. Oh, (laughs) jeez. And I had to show up and do this live with like swollen eyes. But I did it. And you know what? Afterwards, I was like, that went great. I definitely resonate with that. You know, I've had product-based businesses before and I had a brick and mortar where I'm literally standing there one-on-one with a customer, but it's a different kind of energy than like going live on the internet when you're in person with someone. And then I had a subscription box there for a hot minute and I did not want to be the face of the brand. I thought I was just going to hide behind the brand name. And I ended up meeting someone on Instagram who became my business partner, which was perfect because she was going to be the face of the brand. And I got to just be the girl in the back end. Right. And then I started e-commerce badassery and I was like, well, people are going to be hiring me. There's no way for me to do this without being the face of the Mm -hmm. brand. And I had to just put on my big girl panties and like do it. That was the only option. And it was so nerve wracking in the beginning, even to just get on a call like this with a client was stressful or Mm -hmm. to show up on Instagram. And now it just gets easier. One of the things I did is I recorded a lot of videos by myself that no one will ever see. (laughs) (laughs) I want to see them. (laughs) Just to get used to talking to the camera, looking in the right place, seeing what I look like in the reflection back to myself, right? Like all those little weird things that we get hung up on. And that helped a lot. And just learning to converse with people in the comments. And one of the things is, If you're doing live video or you're afraid to do live video, your audience is going to be so forgiving of you. If you fumble your words or you stop to scroll through the comments to catch up, like they don't care. So just do it. Thank you for normalizing that for everyone. But really, if you go look at Glass Ladder on Instagram now, you're going to see Megan all over it, dressing up, doing the reels, all the things. I'd love to talk about the reels a little bit. Did you tell me you did like a real challenge for yourself, like a certain number of reels in a certain amount of days? Yeah, I did. When we first started doing reels, I was trying to do, I want to say like at least five times a week for three to four weeks. And I learned a ton. I mean, that's how you learn by doing right and doing it over and over So, and there's absolutely reels that I deleted and never saw the light of day. (laughs) (laughs) Did you see the return on the reels? Like everyone says they do that. That was getting so much traction and a lot of visibility for the brand. Yes, we definitely did. And the other thing is even just reaching your existing audience on Instagram is incredibly hard these days. They say only 1% of your audience will see a feed post or less. Right. With reels, they're seeing it. Even if it's just your existing audience. So 
even that is a microphone that Instagram is giving you to reach more of your even existing audience. How do you come up with ideas for reels? Do you kind of follow the trends or I don't know, are you that creative? Um, (laughs) (laughs) I'm making her lay it all out for us guys. No, no. You know, I actually don't really follow the trends. Maybe I should, but I don't because the strategy that I have been taking and don't hold me to this because I will say you always go back and check and assess and maybe adapt your plan. So maybe this might not be our plan or strategy in six months, but our strategy up to this point with Reels has been making mini commercials for our products, for our audience. Something that we want to start doing moving forward, which after doing our analysis of looking at our data, looking at our content, we notice that we typically speak to people that already know who we are. So if we're speaking to people that already know our products, we're not going to go on the explore page because someone who doesn't know who we are is not going to understand our content. So that's the other thing. If you want to reach your existing audience or upsell, say we want to reach all of the people that have purchased our purse because we're releasing a wallet, then we would make something relating to people that own that bag already. So it's really about making the content for the people that you want to see it. If you want to be on the Explore page, then you need to talk to your audience like they have no idea who you are or what you do. And that's the big difference there is identifying who you want to reach. Do you want to reach your audience that already follows you and is already a customer and maybe wants to buy the new collection? Or do you want to reach new people and get exposure to sell products to customers that don't know who you are yet? That's such an important distinction when you're creating any type of content, whether it's a reel or an email, the messaging that you give to those people is going to be so different because they are at a different place in the buyer's journey with you. So that is an amazing observation that you guys were able to recognize that and you're making changes. So awesome. And you're not going to get it right from the beginning every single time. You're just not. I was just having this conversation with another email marketing friend of mine. Like when we build email flows for people, the more we get into it, the more we actually change what we're doing, right? Because you get more ideas and you think about, okay, yeah, this messaging is cool, but now what's the customer's response going to be to that? And how do I have to adjust it now? So it's when you're in it, for me anyway, when the magic happens. I know moms, and you can probably speak to this, moms get their ideas in the shower, right? Because it's like their one quiet time with no children around them. For me, I get my ideas when I'm actually doing the work. So I love that you guys are kind of adjusting that. And we talked about this a little bit already, but I'm a big believer in keeping it real with my audience. E-commerce is not all sunshine and rainbows. And there's a lot of bullshit on the internet about how this is really easy, right? Throw up a website, do Facebook ads, tomorrow you're a millionaire. We know that's not real. So aside from not having a clear strategy when you started, what would you say is kind of your biggest failure in your business so far? I think looking for answers in the wrong places. For example, how long did we wait to develop an email strategy for the (laughs) thousands of people. 
they gave us their email and consent and said, yes, I want to hear from you in my inbox. Way too long. And instead, we said, hmm, let's throw a lot of money into Facebook ads and spin the wheel and see what happens. When we already have all of these people that want to hear from us. So I think using your assets too, like that was a huge mistake, looking for answers in the wrong places. Look at the assets that you already have. Likely you have hundreds or thousands of people that have said, whether it's on Instagram or email or text or Facebook, that they want to hear from you. Are you connecting with those people enough? Or are you just worried about, exposure and additional reach and bringing in new people because I think that's a mistake. Thank you for sharing that. Obviously we talked about that when we worked together on your email. So many entrepreneurs do the same thing and not that Facebook ads are inherently bad. Of course they're not, but it just feels like this quick fix band-aid for your Mm -hmm. business. Right. And I think there's so many people out there who run Facebook ads and all these agencies, it's just being talked about more. Mm -hmm. And that's why I love to come in and just shout email from the rooftops (laughs) because it's such an important part of the business. Okay. On a more positive note, what has been your biggest success in your business so far? I'm going to keep it real. I think our biggest success was fulfilling our dream, which was not wanting to answer to anybody else. We pictured a life for ourselves where we were our own boss. We controlled our hours, our business, how much we make, how hard we work, and that when we had children, that we would be able to bend our schedule to do whatever we wanted to be there for our children to spend as much time with them. And we have a one-year-old baby and seeing this picture of what we wanted for our lives, we have it. We work for ourselves. We run our own business. We spend as much time as we want with our baby. We don't have to take her to daycare. We don't have to miss any of her special events in her life. And honestly, that's all that we could ever ask for. And all the other stuff is just amazing cherry on top. And maybe some of them are even vanity metrics. Yeah, Yeah, that's so amazing that you and your husband were building this business while you were pregnant and then with a newborn. So Mm -hmm. kudos to you, girl. Thank you. I mean, my husband and I are lucky if we can like make it to the grocery store. I couldn't imagine what it would be like having to keep another human alive. So (laughs) (laughs) that would be crazy. So if you could give my audience one thing to take away from this episode, something that they should 100% implement in their business, what would that be? To start, to start. (laughs) And uh, don't forget to revisit that plan and reassess because you're always going to change. And so should your plan. You're going to grow. You're going to adapt. You just got to make sure that what you're doing is on brand. Don't just decide to start posting reels and following trends that have nothing to do with your business or your end goal. Everything that you post, everything that you talk about, everything that you do should somehow be connected back to that. And if it's not, then you probably showed up without a plan or you need to revise your plan. 
last thing, and we've kind of touched on this a little bit, so you may have the same answer, but if you knew then when you were starting your business, what you know now, is there anything you would have done differently? I mean, everything. (laughs) I'm just kidding. kidding. Start Um, email earlier, maybe. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we were bootstrapping. We were doing everything. And I think the other thing is we get stuck in that for too long because we did. And I know a lot of people do. You want to wear all the hats. You want to either save money or you know that people can't do it the way that you do it. So you have to do all of the things. And the truth is, is that you don't. Sometimes instead of doing an A plus job at scheduling Twitter or making graphics, you can pass it off to someone else who genuinely might do a better job than you, A, or B, maybe you can accept a B minus job and have someone else do it. You don't need to do everything. So I think that hiring help sooner than you want to. Ain't that the truth? I just hired my second VA. You know, it's hard to make that second hire and pass some of that stuff off. You know, I'm passing it off slowly because admittedly I'm one of those. If my mother is listening, I, (laughs) I blame this on her because she used to always say, you know, if you want something done right, you have to do it yourself. And that was so ingrained, like in my psyche. So it's many years later, kind of retraining myself and tricking my mind a little bit on that. But that's really not true. It really isn't. And you can go so much further, so much faster if you have help. You know, I think we need to sit our moms down and have a talk because... (laughs) I think one of the sources of my anxiety and going over things over and over again is like, say my chore was to clean the bathroom. She'd come in and be like, hmm, still dirty. Clean the whole thing again. Oh, God. (laughs) And I'm like, what? (laughs) But the attention to detail and overly thorough nature that I have is for sure ingrained from that. Yes. Oh, my gosh. That's so hilarious. You're from the East Coast originally, right? Yeah, New Jersey. So Mm -hmm. I'm originally from New York. I'm sure that's a mother thing everywhere, but I feel like East Coasters have a particular kind of energy, right? Absolutely. That I think contributes to that for sure. Because I feel like, I don't know. I mean, I've been in California now for 10 years and I think about my husband who he's not like total, you know, California typical surfer dude or anything, but he's a whole hell of a lot more laid back than I am. So I think there's definitely a coastal difference there for sure. Absolutely. (laughs) I noticed the same thing with my husband. (laughs) Yeah. And it's funny, you know, we've kind of balanced each other out a little bit and I've just become a little bit more relaxed since I moved here. I'm, I feel less stressed than I used to, but there are times when I'm like, why is it taking you so long to get out of the house? (laughs) (laughs) But it's all good. He's so just like calm and collected and like not uptight. Like I'm a little bit uptight. I'm an uptight New Yorker. What can I say? You need the balance, you know? Yeah. Tell everyone, Megan, where they can find your amazing business, Glass Ladder, the website, all the things. Give it to us. Mm -hmm. So you can find us at our website, glassladderco.com or on Instagram at glassladder.com. Amazing. And I will have her links in the show notes, obviously. 
So you've got a range of handbags. What's your best seller that everyone really loves? Oof. Honestly, it does change with the collections for sure. Whatever the hot moment is at the item. But I would say the Sarah laptop bag is one of our top sellers. And I think that that's just so relevant for entrepreneurs and those of us leading the laptop lifestyle. And the Sarah laptop bag is essentially just the very chic feminine version of a briefcase with lots of pockets and organization. (laughs) Yes. That's the other thing. And you guys will see this. Every one of her bags and her portfolios and stuff, like they're all so intentionally designed for what the female entrepreneur or corporate woman needs, like which bag has a cup holder or it has a chain to hook your keys so you don't lose them at the bottom of the bag, which is what happens to me all the time. You know, which ones fit different sizes of electronics. It's just so cool and too hard to explain in a podcast. So please just go to her website and take a look. How about that? Thank you. (laughs) You're welcome. Thank you again, Megan, for hanging out with me today. I really appreciate it. Of course. Thank you for having me on your podcast. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. If you like what you heard, I'd be so grateful if you'd leave a review on Apple Podcasts and don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And if you're looking to surround yourself with more product entrepreneurs who totally get your life right now, get your booty on over to the e-commerce badassery Facebook group. Can't wait to see you there. Until next time, e-commerce friends, stay badass.